guys. Thanks for being here this morning. Um, many of you may have already heard about this. An email went out yesterday about it, but I need to share the news that Kalen Hauk, our associate student pastor, and Bailey Theaker, our worship leader, have resigned their position from the Woods Edge student ministry. They are no longer on staff in the student ministry or at Woods Edge, and this is something that they individually felt like needed to happen. Um, I have their permission and their spouse's permission and their family's permission to talk with you about what has happened today, and so that's why we're here. We're going to take this morning, and we are going to acknowledge why our friends have resigned, and then we are going to pray for them, and then we are going to discuss where is God in this, and how does it apply to me and to you and to us moving forward. So why did Kalen and Bailey resigned their position at Wood's Edge. Well, on Monday, Kalen came to me at one point in the day, and then Bailey at another, and they both individually confessed to me that they had engaged in an emotional affair. So that we're all on the same page, I want to define exactly what that is. An emotional affair is when one partner in a marriage is focusing and unhealthy amount of time, energy, and emotional attention into someone other than their spouse. Both Kaylin and Bailey are married, and they have found themselves in a moment in time, in a situation for a period of time where they were focusing an unhealthy amount of time and attention and energy on each other instead of their spouses, and that is a big deal. And I want to tell you why. Matthew chapter 19, verses 4 through 6 say this. Jesus said, The scriptures record that from the beginning that God made his children male and female. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife. The two are united into one. And since they are no longer two but one, let no one split apart what God has joined together. Marriage is the most powerful, most holy, most heavenly human relationship that we get to be a part of in this life. It is a God-ordained relationship. In Scripture, Jesus compares his own relationship with us, the church, as a marriage in Ephesians 5. Scripture is clear. Let no one split up a marriage. A marriage where we don't get married just in the eyes of our friends and family, where we don't get married just in the eyes of the government or the state that you live in. We get married. We commit our lives and our souls to becoming from two to one before the eyes of the Lord. And God says, let no one split up a marriage, not physically, and not emotionally. So I want to be clear so that we understand. I have spent time with Bailey and Kaylin and speaking with their spouses for much of the week, and this affair was emotional. It was not physical, and thank God for that. But it is still serious, and it is still something that we need to talk about. Um, simply put, they ended up spending undue time with each other. They ended up 
taking their relationship from a work relationship and a friend relationship to something that was unhealthy for them and it negatively impacted them, their relationship with their spouses, and ultimately their relationship with the Lord. But they realized that their actions were wrong, and so they confessed their sin, and they chose to remove themselves from ministry, and I'm proud of them for doing so. Before we pray for our friends in a few minutes, I want to share how the confessions came about, Um, the circumstances surrounding how God convicted them are nothing short of supernatural, and it testifies of God's great love for us even when we make a mistake, even when we make a season of mistakes. So if you were here last week, you may remember that in my sermon, we briefly touched on 1 Corinthians chapter 6. And we talked about that scripture in the context of what our church believes, where we stand when it comes to marriage, gender, and sexuality. We were talking at length about the dangers of sexual sin, not just one kind of sexual sin, but all sexual sin. And if you missed that sermon, you can find it at woodsedge.org slash Job19 because it laid out a lot of truth and it was very convicting. But in that sermon, I read the scripture, 1 Corinthians 6, 9 through 10, and I want to read it again right now. Those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or greedy people or drunkards or abusive or cheat people, none of these will inherit the kingdom of God. If you practice, indulge, worship any of these sins, and this is a short list, there's more. If you practice these things, indulge in these things, give yourself over to them, let them become something that stands between you and the Lord. If you put this sin first, it's not that we're just making a mistake at that point. It's not that I got drunk with a friend. It's not that I accidentally walked out of Walmart with something I didn't pay for. It's that I know God says this is wrong, and I choose to do it anyway, and not just once. I practice it. I indulge it, and it can become something I even worship, put first. I let that sin dictate how I think about things and how I act more than God and His Word. And in That sermon last week, I talked about how if you're on staff at Wood's Edge, the end-all, be-all is that you believe and obey the Bible, and the Bible's clear on several things in that passage. If you're on staff here, you cannot practice sin. Specifically, you can't practice um, being in a relationship with a homosexual. It says it's a sin. It doesn't mean that we are anti-gay people because we are all broken people. We all have our mess. We are quick to love everyone here, but it's a sin. Similarly, you can't be a prostitute and be on staff at Wood's Edge. Seems kind of self-explanatory, but God put it in there just so we could be clear. And he also says you, you are not going to be someone who lies all the time and be on staff here. 
You're not going to be someone who steals all the time. You're not going to be someone who bullies other people and hurts other people to get your way. You're not going to be a prolific alcoholic just drinking all the time when you're not at work. You are not going to cheat on your spouse and stay on staff here, not physically, not emotionally. As I was reading those words, just the Scripture last week in my sermon, Kaylin was in the back of the room listening, and God just used the simple reiteration of those words, and he just grabbed Kalen's heart, and Kalen knew beyond knowing, I am in sin in a couple of those places. And the word he used was, I, I have disqualified myself from being on staff at Wood's Edge. And his conviction was such that that night, he went home, and he sat down with his wife, and he confessed his sin. He confessed to becoming entangled in an emotional affair with Bailey. And the next morning, he came to work and before lunch had sat down with me and confessed that same sin to me. And in confessing said, I, I, I need to resign. I need to work on my marriage. I need to work on my relationship with the Lord. And I knew he was correct. And so I let him go. Now, that in itself, that someone would hear words from this book and it would move them to act in such a way that totally changes their life in an instant is supernatural. It's the power of God's word. But the supernatural doesn't stop there. And that exact same window of time that Kalen, convicted by God, was confessing his sin to his bride on the other side of the county, having no idea what was going on with Kalen, Bailey, under a completely different set of circumstances, was convicted by God at the exact same time of her sin and felt led at the exact same time to go to her husband, Dwight, and confess her sin and acknowledge, I have become engaged in an emotional affair with Kaylin, and I'm sorry, and will you forgive me, and this is what has happened. And then came and spoke to me the next day and resigned her position. That's how much God loves us, you guys. He loves us so much that he will reach down from heaven, grab our hearts and say, this thing right here, this is about to explode. This is about to get so much worse for you. Enough is enough. And our friends obeyed that conviction. I love Kaylin. I love Bailey. They are not just my coworkers. They are two of my very best friends. Still, obviously, I love these two. And the moment that they confessed their sin, I mean, I was rocked, as I'm sure many of you were or are that know about this now. But the moment that they confessed their sin, I did what I'm supposed to do. They're supposed to confess, and I'm supposed to forgive. Because that's what God encourages us to do in moments like this. And not simply to say, I forgive you, but there's power in forgiveness. It, too, is one of the most powerful things we can do on this life. John chapter 20, 23 says, Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, now I am sending you. And then he breathed on his disciples. He breathed on his friends and said, receive the Holy Spirit. You now have the mantle of God's forgiveness. And as you go, as you go throughout your day, as you go throughout your life, you are now able to share the life-giving power to forgive sins. 
You guys, we are born with a conscience that tells us right from wrong. But when you are reborn, when you are baptized in faith, when you declare to God and your community, I believe in Jesus, it says we receive not just a conscience, but the Holy Spirit of God. And when we have the Holy Spirit inside of us, we have the power to forgive people when they wrong, to forgive ourselves when we do wrong, and that that power gives life. Jesus is so quick to forgive powerfully, and so must we be also. Our friends indulged in sin, and then God convicted them of their sin, and they did exactly at that moment what God says to do. 1 John chapter 1, the blood of Jesus, God's Son, it cleanses us from all sin. Now, if we claim we have no sin, we are only fooling ourselves, and we are not living in the truth. But if we confess our sin, we confess it to Him, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sin and to cleanse us from all wickedness. Now, if we claim we have not sinned, well, we're calling God a liar and showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. If we claim we have not sinned. That's what happens. And so it stands that if we do the opposite, if we confess our sin, then something else is true. Our friends have confessed their sin, which means that God's word, God's love, God's grace still completely, totally has a place in their hearts. And because God says that he redeems all things for the good of those who love him, who he loves, who are called according to his purpose, he is going to redeem every single piece of this sad moment for our friends because they are still completely and totally with the Lord. God is already in the process of healing them. He has forgiven them and now he's already in the process of healing them. We need to follow suit. We need to reinforce it and back it up. We need to take the power that Jesus himself has given us in the Holy Spirit, and we need to pray forgiveness for our friends, forgiveness for their spouses over them so that life-giving power can go back into those relationships, back into this relationship, and something phenomenal, something praiseworthy, something God-glorifying can take place. You have that power in you, and we are going to exercise it now. I'd like you guys to take your prayer cards and your pen. And on one side, because on the other side we're going to use for something else later, I would like you to pray for your friends. I want you to pray for Kalen and his wife, Lindsay. I want you to pray for Bailey and her husband, Dwight, that God's life-giving power would come over them, that complete forgiveness would take place, that cleansing and healing from walking on this wayward path would completely take place. As you feel led, would you just write some prayers that Jesus would have his way in their hearts and in their marriages, and if you are experiencing a need to pray some forgiveness for your friends, please take this moment to do exactly that. I'll come back up here in just a few seconds.
deafening silence that our minds find solace in you. For there is no place where you are vacant, where you are moving. For as you were. about another 60 seconds. in a prayer, please continue. But I'm going to continue too. I'm going to read that passage one more time. First John chapter 1. I'm going to emphasize a couple words. The blood of Jesus, God's Son, cleanses us from all sin. Now if we claim we have no sin, we are fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to Him, He is faithful and He is just to forgive us our sins, and to cleanse us from all wickedness. But if we claim that we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar, and we are showing that His Word has no place in our hearts. Times like this are tempting to fixate just on the sins, the failings, the mistakes of others. Times like this are easy to let the enemy in, and rather than continuing to pray for our friends, to start to gossip about shortcomings, to start and speculate about this, that, or the other. In addition to praying for our friends, which is the main thing, the second is like it. Times like this, we need to think about ourselves. We need to think about our shortcomings. We need to think about what is God 
want to show me about me in this. The way God, that he reached down and grabbed hold of our friends, was a warning to them. And it is a warning to every single one of us in this room today. A question to keep in front of you as we continue talking about this this morning is, what am I going to do with this warning? What am I going to do in my life with this very real and present situation that happens so close to home? How am I going to use it to draw closer to Jesus, to help friends and point them closer to the Lord, to healing, to cleansing, to confession of sin? I'm going to shift gears and share a personal story from my own life that took place just this past Tuesday. I was driving to work. It was about 5.30 in the morning. I was not able to sleep well the night before for obvious reasons. I was thinking about this moment. I was thinking about my friends. And I was thinking, man, God loves us. Man, God loves them. That He would love them so much to step down and warn them before they went another step, another day further into this sin. It could have been so much worse, you guys, that He loves us enough to warn us when we are marching toward something awful, how He warns us away from danger. And at that exact moment, as I was driving on Woodlands Parkway, I saw a construction sign flashing, and there it was again. I was like, there's just warnings everywhere. And in the space of like a second, a moment, many things occurred to me at once. One, I'm driving like 65 right now on Woodlands Parkway, and the speed limit is 20 lower. I think I like just like zoomed straight around a car at the light without signaling through an intersection, and I don't think, in fact, I know, I have not renewed my driver's license, which expired in November, and I realized I'm straight up like breaking the law right now in at least three different ways. And I realized, like, God is warning me right now. He's warning me of future danger. And then I have this series of thoughts in a moment. What if I do nothing about my license and I keep driving like a fool and I get pulled over during Freedom Weekend? Well, I don't have anybody else to step up and preach for me. Kaylin has now stepped away from staff. What's going to happen to my students? What's going to happen to that weekend if I get pulled over? Do you go to jail when your license is expired? Yeah, you certainly can. And I'm just like, you know what? It's not a maybe. I need to go get my license renewed, like ASAP. And I should probably slow down right now. So in the process of taking my foot off the gas and thinking, man, you love us so much, you warn us, this car slips in behind me with its lights off. And I'm like, what? And I look in the rearview mirror, and there's like a telltale shape at the top of this car. I'm like, oh, yeah, that's totally a cop. A couple seconds later, I was pulled over on the side of the road with the lights going because I had sped through an intersection, changed lanes twice without signaling, and as he would find out in a moment, driving with an expired license. And I was thinking to myself, Will Brooke even wake up if I call her this early to let her know I'm going to jail? And the answer is no. 
I'm totally calm. I realize that this is something God is allowing to happen because he wanted me to share it with you. And I didn't know the full extent of why, but thinking and praying about how God loves us enough to warn us, and I'm literally being pulled over. This police officer comes to my window, and I roll down my window, and he doesn't chastise me. He doesn't get after me. He doesn't say, you know, who do you think you are driving like a maniac? He just says, are you okay? And not in a sarcastic way, but a caring, are you all right? And I just, I just was honest. I said, you know, I'm, I'm thinking about some friends of mine and a tough conversation I've got to have. Um, and I was distracted, and I, and I totally broke the law, and I apologize. I'm okay. Um, I'm sorry that I was not driving well. And he said, all right. And he takes my license, and he goes back to run it. And I'm just like, okay, so, you know, you know take me. I'm ready to go. And he comes back to the car, and he goes, okay, well, you, you, you changed lanes without signaling. You were speeding, and, and buddy, you know, your, your license is expired. And I'm just like, what else, you know? <laughs> Dead guy in the back. No. Um, I, I was sure I was, I was either going to get, like, Many hundreds, if not a thousand dollars worth of citations. Like it's been so long, so I don't know where that's at. Or I, maybe I'm going to jail. And all he does is hands me back my license and he goes, Will you go get this renewed this week? And I said, Yeah. And he goes, All right, be safe and God bless you. And I'm just like, I love you so much. <laughs> Boom, like out of there. <laughs> um, I deserved punishment, I deserved fines. Um, and he just let me off with a warning and, and a blessing. He said, God bless you. Even as it was happening, I knew that encounter was for this morning. And as I contemplated it and prayed about it before, as I was writing this, I got two things to share from that moment. Um, reminder number one, Psalm 103, 8 through 11, the Lord. I want you to think about where you might be ignoring some warnings in your life, where you might be indulging in some sinful activity. And I want you to hear these words from God to you right now. The Lord is he's compassionate, and He is merciful, and He is slow to get angry. He is filled. He is filled to overflowing with unfailing love for you, even on your worst day. He will not constantly accuse us. He will not remain angry forever. He does not punish us for all of our sins. He does not deal harshly with us as you and I deserve. Higher than the highest heavens, that's how high God's tender mercy extends. Greater than the grandeur of heaven above is the greatness of God's loyal love to you, towering over all of us who put God first. Thank God that He's slow to anger. Thank God that He is filled with love for you and for me. Thank God He is not, he is not harsh as we deserve when we make mistakes when we indulge in mistakes. But does that mean that you and I, in light of warnings, should continue to flirt with sin forever? God is so not... I have heard this from students. He's so good and kind. He forgives 
so I can keep doing the thing. I can't lose my salvation. Does that mean we should ignore the warning signs of God? No, we should not, especially because he loves us so much. The second reminder comes to us from 2 Peter chapter 3. The Lord, he's not really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No, when it comes to discipline, punishment, for things that we deserve to be punished for, he says he is being patient for your sake. He is restraining himself on account of you, holding back the end, holding back the worst, because he doesn't want anyone to be destroyed. He's not looking forward to doing something heavy and hard. In fact, he's giving every one of us space and time to change, to change the way that we think, to change the way that we act, to change our minds about, you know what, this is bad for me, the Bible is clear that it is, I'm going to step away. But when the day of God's judgment does come, it will be sudden, it will be unannounced, the sky will collapse with a thunderous bang, everything disintegrating in a huge conflagration, earth and all its works exposed to the scrutiny of judgment. We only have so much time before God says, it's, it's, this is enough. I love you too much to let you go another step. I love you too much to let it get any worse than it is. God's patience with you and with me is great, is mighty, but it will not last forever. If we ignore his warnings, the consequences can be harsh. Ask our friends. There were warning signs all along the way. I have spoke to them personally. They have confessed it. I knew here that we should stop. I knew here that we were going too far, and they ignored them. And so God loved them enough to allow some of that heaviness fall. So, question for you to consider, where in your life do you know that God is being so patient with you? But man, how long? Do you have an area in your life or a behavior where God is clearly, he's given you time, he's given you space to change, how long? Where do you think, where do you know that God has been warning you away from this, that, or the other? Have you been challenged by a friend? Have you read this book and known in your heart, oh, I really need to stop doing that. I really need to get out of that relationship. Have you, even this morning, listened to this sermon and known in your heart, in your mind, this in my life has got to go? God's patient, but his patience won't last forever. God loves us enough that if we ignore his warnings, he will break your heart to save your soul. That's how much he loves you. He will allow the job that you feel you were made to do be taken. He might even have you give it away, which will crush you, which will hurt you. He loves you enough to let that happen to save your soul, to save your relationship with him, to save your marriage. That's not his first choice. His first choice is confess your sin so I can heal you, so I can cleanse you, so you can walk away from that thing that is going to hurt you more than you know. Let me shift gears. I will make a confession to you. I don't enjoy spanking my children. 
but I will. I will spank my kids. I have spanked my kids. I spanked the little one that was up running lights in last service just yesterday. I don't enjoy it. I don't look forward to it. It's not the highlight of my day, but I will spank my kids. I will punish them. I will discipline them if it means I'm protecting them from something worse than a spanking. I would rather spank my son than have him walk up to the stove and put his hand on the burner, which I have had to do in the past when Wyatt was smaller and see that burner lit up in red and he's just like, I'll reach out, I'll smack that hand because I would rather that temporary pain of a bruised ego for a second, the confusion of like, ow, happened than him to mutilate his hand by grabbing onto something hot. I would rather spank Charlotte than have her growing up thinking it's okay to steal, that it's okay for her to go to a friend's house. And this has happened. And been like, ooh, Shopkin. You know, I'll give her a spanking. I don't care about that Shopkin. I'll be honest, I don't even know what that is. But it's not okay for her to steal. She can't grow up thinking in this life, if I want something, I can just take it. I will punish my children and allow them to grow up thinking that this lie is true, that it's okay to steal. I will discipline you because I love you than rather have you step into something that will hurt you in the long run. I've had to sit down with some of you over the years and unfortunately more frequently lately and let you know, here are some really stern consequences, harsh for you, because I love you, and we're making these happen now, because I have come to understand, and you have confessed, that you asked that girl or that boy for a nude photograph, and that's not going to fly here. That's not going to fly in this family, and I will just tell you, if you don't know, Texas has instituted new laws recently. Do you guys know that at 17 years old, if you ask for, if you solicit a nude photograph and receive it, that you can be charged with pedophilia, that you can be charged with trafficking pornography, that that will go on your record forever. It is commonplace now in so many circles at your age that I won't even date somebody unless they send me a naked photograph. You guys, you could go to jail. And I would rather institute some tough love here than have one of you experience what that looks like. I love you too much to see you guys grow up thinking that if I like this girl, the best way to express that affection is to demean her and make her an object. And if she breaks up, just share this thing with everybody for revenge. That's not God's best for you. Girls, same thing is true. I love you enough that I will do that because I would rather do that momentary tough thing, that super awkward talk, than have you potentially get in trouble with the law. What I love about my son, Wyatt, he's not the only of my children that has expressed this, demonstrated this, but he's so, he's just so honest. He has, in the last six months to a year, developed this habit where he will come up to me because he is already learning the value of discipline. And he has come up to me as recently as this weekend and just said, uh, Dad, uh, I think I need a spanking. <laughs> I'm just like... You're a freak. 
But he will come right up to me, look me in the eyes out of nowhere and just say, I think I need a spanking. And it's not like this light thing, like he's wrestling, he's got some anxiety and he will just confess, I think you need to take me in the back room, I think we need to have a spanking and I'll just say, why? And he will confess to something. Sometimes it's like, yeah, you do. And he's like, dang. And sometimes he's just like testing the fences and seeing where the line is. But he will confess of his own accord, I did this to, to Charlotte. Um, I, I knocked the baby down, um, you, know, you know, a little bit. And he will admit that to me tenderly, honestly. Students, do you think that there's a single time that he's done that, that I've spanked him? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Because he's learning, he's demonstrating, he's doing what we should all learn and demonstrate and do. How to correct himself so that I don't have to, so that he doesn't have to. Because we love him enough that we will. And he's learning how to correct himself. First Timothy chapter 4, verse 7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, of timidity, of hiding things forever. He's given us a spirit of power, love, and self-discipline. God has given every single one of you, when you confess your faith, the Holy Spirit, and that spirit is a spirit of power. God has given any and every single one of you the spirit of power you need to step away from your sin. If you think, I can't ever get away from this, hogwash. You've got the spirit of the living God inside of you. You have the spirit to step away from sin. You've been given the spirit of love, a love that says, I'm going to obey what God says over what the world says, and so I'm going to obey this book, even if I get in trouble for it, even if I lose friends for it. That's the kind of spirit you have. You've got the spirit to know right from wrong and then act it out. You have been given the spirit of self-discipline, self-correction. I don't need to be doing it anymore. Your parents don't need to be doing it anymore. It's in you. Jesus Christ, disciples were your age and younger. They were given the spirit of self-correction, and they did what we should all do better and better at doing. We need to exercise it. We need to use it. We need to obey it. When you are doing the thing that you know you shouldn't do and you feel convicted at that moment, walk away. In some cases at that moment, run away, self-correct, is way better than the alternative. Not only does God protect us when we confess our sin and heal us and cleanse us, He blesses us. It's like the thing you're afraid to say. Do you know there's a blessing on the other side too? Let me go back to my example, my story from Tuesday morning, the license. What do you guys think I did? What do you think happened with that officer's warning? Do you think I was like, you know what? I'm just going to like, psh, I'm going to throw the dice. I bet I get a nice cop next time too. Or do you think that I went straight to the DMV this week? I went straight to the DMV this week. And it was a sad affair. Hundreds of people, like this poor woman. I'm going to give you guys some free advice just because I can. If you've got to go to the DMV, do yourself a favor. You get online and make an appointment. There's people in that place standing in line around the block, and if they actually get in the building, I talked to a young lady. She had been waiting for four hours, and there were still 99 people in front of her. You get online. You make an appointment. I showed up. I had to wait eight minutes. Don't be this poor woman in the bottom left. I just, 
I bless you in the name of Jesus. She's probably still there. You guys, it would have been foolish for me to ignore the warning to go and do the thing I knew I should do that I should have done months before. It is foolish for us to be convicted when we know I should do this thing and not do it. So, of course, I went to the DMV. I experienced, you know, that. But it was short. The lady that helped me, awesome. I made her laugh because I'm me. But not only am I now protected because I got a fresh license. I can speed all I want. No. Not only am I protected now because I have a fresh license, but do you know that God blessed me while I was there? I saw a former student, got to pray for her, and I had an encounter as I was leaving that building that was so profound and supernatural that that too I knew God was orchestrating all of this so that I could meet a man and have a conversation with him that for all I know changed his life. But that story is for Freedom Weekend. I spent a lot of time this week talking to my friends, talking to our friends, Kaylin and Bailey and their spouses. I, I am honored to report to you that since confessing their sin and since self-correcting, it was a little late, but it wasn't too late, I have seen forgiveness poured out between them and their spouse in a way that is only attributed to Jesus Christ. I have seen a cleansing and a healing begin in them deep in them that is only attributed to Jesus Christ. And I have seen in their circumstance and in their families the favor and the power of God because they heard the word, they obeyed the word, and God's clear, you hear, you obey, I'm going to bless you. Same exact thing is in store for every single one of us in this room. When we self-correct, when we confess our sin, he is faithful, he is just to forgive us, to cleanse us, to protect us in the future, to bless us. There are blessings waiting to be unleashed from heaven into this room, into your hearts, into your situation this morning. And I beg you not to leave this room before you receive them. So here's how we're going to wrap up this morning. Thinking about all that we've heard and seen today, how does this apply to me? What is God saying to me? I got two verses we're going to put up and I'm going to leave up for you to consider and from these, I want to encourage every one of you to, even now if you want to, begin writing a personal prayer. The first one, Psalm 139, the psalmist inviting God to search them out. That's what I want you to do this morning. Because it's possible that you have a sin or a hidden thing that you yourself may not even know is there. And so, in your own words or these, you can write out a prayer, search me, O God and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. Lord, point out anything in me that offends you, that could get me hurt, that could drive a wedge between you and me. Point anything out that offends you and then lead me along the path of everlasting life. As you write a prayer along those lines, I encourage you, if something rises to the surface, unless it's already there, then apply 1 John 1, 9. Confess your sin to the Lord. Own it. Just write it out. Be unashamed and just own. I am definitely sinning here. I am definitely wandering here. I am definitely hurting myself and others here. And if you confess that, he is faithful. He is just. He's going to forgive you like that. 
He's going to begin cleansing you like that. I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to write a prayer just between you and your heavenly Father who loves you enough, who is eager to forgive you this morning. But I'm going to warn you, if you continue to walk down that road, he also loves you enough that he will allow some tough stuff that might have to come your way. Don't miss this moment. Jesus, we thank you for our friends. And we thank you that you love them enough to allow some tough stuff to come their way. And they are walking through it with their eyes on you. And we pray you would continue to help them. But now, this morning, you want to have us consider it, to consider these words. You've got stuff that we need to unload, that we need to unburden. Thank you that you are a God that is quick to forgive and slow to anger. Would you bless our prayers in Jesus' name? Amen. Take a few moments. Write a confession to the Lord, whatever's on your heart. And as you finish, you can bring them up and drop them in the offering.
You're still writing your prayer. Keep it going. A couple things. Myself and the staff and my friends on the side here are going to stick around if you have questions or if you would like to pray, not just for our friends, but yourself. I encourage you to take advantage. Um, the timing of this is, is crazy to me, that we are right on the cusp of our largest, most spiritually impactful weekend of the year. Whether you are coming to freedom or not, would you just be praying this week that God is fully allowed to do all that he wants to do this coming weekend. I know that this is going to be redeemed, period, but I think something very special is going to happen this week. But let's all be praying in that direction. Um, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to close this morning. We're done talking about this issue, and now we get to continue to pray for our friends and to pray for what's next. If God convicted you of a thing to step away from, I love you. I'm proud of you. Please, God, step away from that thing. And if you need accountability, you grab somebody in this room before you leave and say, can we hold each other accountable in this? Will you help me? God loves when we ask for help. Jesus, we thank you that you redeem all things for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. We love you. Every single one of us in this room, near or far, are called according to your purpose. So we invite you to come in and redeem our lives, our thoughts, our walk with you. I pray that this is the strongest year for us as your children and for us as a church. Come and have your way in us. Come and have your way in our friends. I pray for the most supernatural healing in these two marriages, and I thank you that it looks like that is totally what you're already doing. Come and have your way in Jesus' name. Amen. I love you guys. I'm proud of you. Thanks for being here today.